Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to thank our podcast sponsor, Point Click Care. Success isn't just getting to PDPM, it's about being ready for what comes next. Learn how you can prepare to go confidently into quality-based care with Point Click Care. My guest today is Steven Rosenberg, founder and CEO of Greystone. Back in 1988, Rosenberg founded the lending, advisory, and development firm as a consultancy shop with little capital or desire to expand outside of his role as a consultant. But 30 years later, the company boasts a loan portfolio of $34 billion, leading the HUD-backed lending space for skilled nursing facilities, multifamily properties, and senior living communities. I wanted to ask Rosenberg for his outlook on the future of the skilled nursing industry, the appeal of FHA and HUD lending, and why outside investors are increasingly warming to the idea of nursing homes as a growth opportunity. Here's our conversation. Steve, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Great. So let's just get right into our conversation. And usually I like to start by just giving our guests an opportunity to kind of describe their experience in both the industry and where their company sits. Obviously, Greystone has a big, wide footprint in a lot of different aspects of the senior housing and care industry. So why don't you just give a quick background on yourself and the role that your company plays in the uh, ecosystem? Sure, Alex. So Greystone, I founded Greystone 30 years ago in 1988, really at the time to do just consulting. I had been the national director of housing and housing finance at Dean Witter Reynolds, uh, left Dean Witter, started Greystone with really no capital whatsoever, really just to do consulting. And, you know, an opportunity here or there came up. And frankly, only people that had problems and had defaulted loans would return my phone calls. So obviously, I wasn't that compelling a salesman. So people would call me back and I'd try to help them out. And over the 30 years, we've never actually raised any equity. But notwithstanding that, and also notwithstanding the fact that as a company, we've been committed to giving at least half of our profits to charities every year. And sometimes it's actually significantly more than 50%. But notwithstanding the fact that obviously I'm not that good a salesman, and obviously, and we didn't raise any capital over the time when we started with no capital, and we're giving half away, notwithstanding that, the company sort of magically grew to its current size, which is we've got about over 7,000 employees, and we are significant lenders in the multifamily and healthcare areas, and multifamily rental housing, skilled nursing facilities, senior housing. Our loan portfolio is just about at $34 billion right now. We're the number one HUD lender in the country. Top 10, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and you know, we do about $12 billion a year of lending. And, I, you know, when I think about it, it's just, it's been a, a magical ride because when I look back at where we started from, it's just kind of crazy that starting out with no capital, giving half of the profits away at a minimum every year, and knowing my own personality limitations and the fact that, you know, I don't really know how to ask for equity or ask for investors, at least historically, it's really kind of been a magical growth story, and I'm really proud of it. And we have a very unique culture at Greystone where we treat each other with, with high levels of respect. Losing your temper at somebody could cost you your job. So we have a, really a magical culture. Anybody at the firm, I think if you ask them what's the mission of the company, they would tell you to enhance lives. And we do that by making profits, giving them away, 
and to families in distress. And it's been really just a magical ride, Alex. And I appreciate the ability to even talk about this on the podcast because it's really just really special. And I'll finish with I, the the takeaway for me when I look back at our history and where we are now is that I think the magic comes from when you try to put other people's interests in front of your own, then just magic happens, especially if you're doing it in a somewhat illogical way and where, you know, where your CPAs and accountants are telling you, well, maybe you're just giving too much and, but maybe you still step over the line and, and, and you still give that amount. So, you know, your insecurities are challenged and you feel like, you know, your breath just got taken away because you did something, maybe it's just a little bit irrational Somehow that just makes uh, magic happen. That's at least my takeaway. Anyway, yeah, and, uh, sorry for the long-winded story. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's the whole point. We we, we like having the opportunity to uh, have people tell their stories on the podcast. But yeah, that is one takeaway that I've had from covering the skilled nursing industry, even on the investment side, is that you know there are much easier ways to make a lot of money than going into the uh, nursing home business. So it's usually refreshing to hear how many people who are leaders in this industry really do believe in the mission and really do have a desire to help people with you know what they do for a living. And so one of the reasons that I was also excited to have you on the podcast is, you know, Greystone does have a unique perspective in that you're on the, the lending side, you're on the operations side, you're on the development side. So I wanted to kind of get into one of the, the big questions, and you and I have discussed this, I believe, in the past, obviously not on the podcast, but one of the things that I find the most interesting is this decision in the skilled nursing industry now, you know, do I buy or do I build new? If I'm going to start expanding, Am I going to invest in existing properties? Am I going to develop my own? Is there really a market for skilled nursing development right now? And because you, your company is kind of involved on all fronts, I was interested in getting your perspective on that. What goes into your calculus at Greystone and what goes into the calculus of players across the space just from what you've been hearing? Well, one thing that we're certainly seeing, and, and you know, building new has, again, the benefits of you can you can create what you want to create. The real issue is that it always comes down to is it's, it's an analysis of what's the cost of land in a specific area, what are the construction costs in a specific area, and also, you know, what are your, the equity that you've got to put in or that you've got to raise, what's that equity going to cost you? So the economics of building new as opposed to buying and refurbishing I mean, those are unique to specific states and unique to specific areas within the state. And everything depends on what the alternative uses are of, of that piece of land, and as well as what the construction costs are in that given state. We're clearly seeing the need for patients that, in many cases, not all cases, but want more private space. And we're just... You know, where what I see is I see a transition of the, especially in the skilled nursing industry. There, you know, there's a lot of focus on you know post-acute rehab patients coming in directly from hospitals that need rehabilitation, and what kind of environment do you create for those patients? Those are generally younger, healthier patients that, and they don't want to be in a depressing environment. And I think there's a movement now in the industry to create more activities and to make even even post-acute skilled nursing facilities more about 
maintaining lifestyle and more activities. And, you know, we're talking right now about whether or not we can have, you know, a happy hour in a number of our facilities. And so the idea of it's not a place just to be. I see the industry moving to skilled nursing facilities that are not giving up on the patient. That the idea is even if the patient will be there longer term, the idea is how do we make their lives just just happier, easier, more social, more friendly, you know, so activities, even drinking. It's just, you know, there's, I definitely see that movement in the industry. Clearly, it's, sometimes it's easier to do that when you can build your own facility. But again, buying existing facilities, rehabbing those facilities is definitely a way to go as well. The rehab, rehabilitating the facility, not rehab as in skilled rehab, that is almost a necessity anyway if you're going to be buying a new facility because one of the things, so here at Aging Media Network, we cover senior housing, home health, a lot of different verticals at our company. And I'm always impressed when I look at the senior housing side and I look at these beautiful new buildings that they have going up and there's all this money in the private pay space. And then you look at the, you know, what's the average age of plant in in the skilled nursing, 40 years old? And so, you know, they were built and designed for seniors who are long, long, no longer with us. That seems almost like a must, even if you are going to buy, you know, even if you don't have uh, huge margins, it, it seems like, you know, I hear about companies every time they announce a new acquisition, there's always a discussion of capital improvements. Yes, we're seeing that as well. And that's why we, uh, uh, besides being long-term lenders, we're, because there was such a demand from our clients that are acquiring facilities and essentially need uh, bridge loans to acquire the facility and also provide the capital to rehab the facility. I mean, that's why we had been carrying about a billion dollars of loans on our balance sheet for years. And we expanded that program to a $3 billion program because we see such a need for acquisition financing where there's a repositioning that's going to happen. So you're absolutely right. And we're seeing that literally every day. Now, with those repositionings, are they predominantly people who are coming in and saying, look, I know how to do this better, so I'm going to go in, put some money, and then flip this building around in five years? Or is it people who are more interested in the long haul? Because that is something that I'm always curious about when I hear about these turnaround projects is, you know, are they looking five years out or are they looking to really be a part of the asset, you know, for maybe the full 30-year term of the eventual HUD loan? What are you seeing more often? I, I am not seeing... You know, it's interesting. That's an interesting question because on the multifamily side, we see a lot of folks that come in, acquire, reposition, and sell. You know, what's really interesting is that on the skilled nursing side, I'm not seeing that. I think most of our clients come in expecting to hold on to the facilities for the long term. But that's an interesting. I never really focused on that, but that is a differentiator. We see that. Yes, I, I, we're not seeing anyone that is coming in with sort of a flip strategy. And I think that's one of the reasons that people are so attracted to FHA long-term financing. You know, it's that 35-year self-amortizing loan. You, you know, once you put it in place, you're never forced to think again about how you're going to how you're going to finance because your financing is in place. You can also always replace it with another HUD loan or replace it with something else, but you're never forced to. I think that type of financing is meant for people that want to stay in for the long term. 
Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the other side of the coin is there's not a ton of other easy financing options if you're interested in investing in the skilled nursing the way that multifamily and senior housing has, you know, Fannie, Freddie, all these different options. So it's interesting that you say that you're absolutely right. There is no other long term financing alternative in the skilled nursing area, but we're actually endeavoring right now. And one of the top priorities of our finance department is to create at least a 10 year fixed rate debt vehicle for nursing home operators. And so we're in the process of creating that right now. We actually did, even in our bridge loan program, which is shorter term because the loans go only up to three years. Just last year, we executed the first 100% healthcare or skilled nursing CLO, a CLO which is essentially aggregating skilled nursing, short-term loans, and essentially securitizing those loans in the market. So we were the first ones that ever did that. The market was very receptive to buying those bonds that we created. It was only, it was relatively small, 300 million, $300 million securitization. But the market was very receptive to that. And we are planning to take that the next step and trying to create a 10 year fixed rate vehicle so that people just have an alternative to HUD. Yeah. And, and that's also interesting about that the market was receptive to that and that you were able to get good feedback just because from what, so part of my job is, you know, I listen to all the earnings calls and all the, read through all the transcripts and all that stuff whenever the publicly traded companies release their information. We're in the thick of earnings season right now as we record this. So that's why it's on my mind. But a lot of the times, you know, the questions from uh, the analysts tend to be a lot more skeptical. You know, we, I've heard this a lot in my time covering the industry that there's this kind of disconnect between Wall Street, which looks at skilled nursing and thinks, oh, I don't know about that. You know, there's all these, there's Medicare, there's Medicaid, there are all these different variables that are going to scare me off from investing in this. Whereas there are people you know, such as Greystone, such as companies that have been, you know, in the industry for so long that see the opportunity. So it's kind of interesting to hear that, you know, you, you got such a positive reception from very, investors. Very, very positive reception, which also resulted in very aggressively low interest rates. It was a great reception. Again, people voted based on the, it was oversubscribed low interest rates, and if the market was that receptive. Now, you got to remember also, we've been doing this, this type of lending for probably definitely more than a decade. And so we really had the statistics, our default rates were as close to zero as you can almost get. And so the, the rating agencies were comfortable with us. The investors were comfortable with us. I'm not sure that a company that had less experience could have pulled that off as well. But the market was definitely receptive and we're hoping that we'll be able to, you know, to create this 10-year product as well so that, you know, owners and borrowers just have another option on the table. Yeah. Speaking of those those owners and those borrowers, one, one thing that I like to ask folks who are involved in the financing on the skilled nursing side is, well, you know, how, when you evaluate deals, when you evaluate potential you know, loan partnerships with uh, operators, what are the, some of the things that you'd look for in either the operator or the specific deal that, that make you feel comfortable about lending that kind of money and being a long-term partner with that person or that operating group? Yeah. So what we want to do is, the first thing is we want to focus on the quality of care that they provide. 
And so we want to visit their facilities. We want to talk to the state regulators. We want to see, you know, do they just operate four and five star facilities or are most of their facilities, you know, two star facilities? We want to get in and interview some of the administrators that are operating their facilities. You know, we can't, because we ourselves own and operate about 4,000 beds, you know, I see that as a, it's almost like our in-house laboratory. So we have, you know, our head of clinical care, if we want, can get on a plane and go out and interview the head of clinical care at that borrower. So we have staff in place that are, you know, deep into providing care at our own facilities, and we have that resource to call on to help us do our due diligence for, you know, for potential borrowers that have come to us for a loan. So quality of care is clearly number one, and we're looking for track record. You know, what have they done in the past? When they say that they can turn a facility around, show us, show us number one, that you've done it in the past, and not only that, Tell us exactly how you're going to do it. Is it that you expect to have a different type of patient, so you're going to market differently than the existing owner of that facility, or is it is the focus on expense reduction? You know, when they're if they're using a lot of outside nursing agency nurses, and and we we've seen people make that mistake a lot, where they come in and say, oh, we're going to be able to reduce our nursing expense because we're just going to eliminate agency. But then when, once they get in. What we're finding is, or what they're finding is, there just aren't nurses in the market. And so they can't get out of agency. And so what we're seeing for the first time, Alex, is that we are financing people that are buying facilities and two years post-purchase, they see they're unable to turn those facilities around as they had hoped they would and they're putting the facilities back on the market and trying to sell them. And we've not seen that before. And we are we have a platform at Greystone where we are putting equity also behind operators that we believe in. And again, the properties that we're seeing in that kind of acquisition, on that acquisition platform, are properties that we may have financed two years ago or that someone else financed two years ago but the borrower was unable to pull off their plan. And we've really never seen that before. Why do you think that's Uh, happening? Well, I think it's happening because people that have operated well in a certain state, they were able to raise outside capital from investors that saw that they were successful in that state, and they're trying to use their expertise in state, you know, A, plus investors' capital that, you know, that in, where investors are pushing them to expand and they're going into states that they're just not comfortable. Well, they were unfortunately too comfortable in moving into the state, but it's just a different dynamic. And so we're definitely seeing good operators that were good in their state, but once they start going into a state that they're not known and, and they just don't, they're not as familiar, we're seeing, you know, them not meeting their projections. So access to capital is pushing them to that, you know, to broaden their horizons and a sense that, well, if we could figure it out in the state we're in, we could figure it out in another state. So those two, those two things, I think, are creating the problem. But we're talking to banks all of the time that also provide acquisition financing, and they're telling us the same thing. They're telling us that 
they have loans in their portfolio that are just that are on the watch list because they're not performing as they expected they would. Yeah. And, you know, that's obviously been there have been a lot of high profile headlines in the recent in the last yeah. year or so about companies yeah. that have kind of uh, taken that trajectory. And uh, it's kind of interesting because when I first started covering this industry about two and a half years ago, that was one of the early things that I feel like a variety of different people hammered home to me is that it's such a regional business even to the yeah. point where it's, you know, hyper local, where it could even, you know, county to county, it could be different. And it's just been kind of interesting seeing the effects of these companies and investors who have, you know, decided to expand too fast into areas where they really didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, really unfortunate, really sad. And, you know, it's especially unfortunate when, you know, companies are not meeting their projections and then they don't have the cash flow to provide the services or the care to, you know, to their, to their residents. And that's, that's who really suffers. Sure, people might lose some of their equity, but the people that are really suffering in those circumstances when there just isn't cash flow are, you know, are the residents. And that's really, that's the unfortunate thing. And that's why you're seeing regulators getting so aggressive and going in and monitoring facilities because a lack of cash creates a lot of problems. Yeah. And in this industry, especially with one of the few industries where, you know, you're not you're not selling widgets, you're caring for real people with real problems. That's right. And oftentimes people that can't really describe what's bothering them or what's lacking. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're not the best communicators all the time. It's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. Quickly on the subject of regulation, I wanted to go toward PDPM just because I like asking if I have an opportunity to talk with a leader. I'm curious as to, you know, what, what how do you think the landscape is going to shake out with PDPM? It's, it's a rare major reimbursement shift that everyone seems happy with, at least publicly. And so I was kind of curious for your take on how operations are going to change starting October 1st. Obviously, we're probably not going to see it immediately once it takes effect on October 1st, but just kind of curious to see how you think it's all going to shake out. Yeah, I mean, I think PDPM makes just so much sense. I mean, the idea of having a an industry that is reimbursed from the government based on how much therapy you can give motivates everybody in the industry to jam as much therapy as you can, as you can justify, and maybe not even justify. And that just did not make sense from my perspective, and especially for the residents. And I think PDPM, hopefully, if it's done well, is, is going to solve that problem. And that patients will, reimbursement is based on the condition of the patients. And hopefully, there will be accurate reporting and active oversight on the condition of the patients which, again, drives the reimbursement. But if the system works well, I think it's a much fairer and a more appropriate system. I think that companies will have to adjust um, how they really look at the patient. And, and I think it's going to be a good adjustment, again, as long as the system works, because now you're looking at the patient themselves and you're not looking at you know, the patient as a kind of an absorber of therapy. So I'm excited about it because I think that it is going to hopefully improve the quality of care that's given. Now, of course, on the other hand, you will have some operators out there that say, well, now that I'm not being reimbursed for the therapy I'm giving or for the total amount of therapy I'm giving, what I want to do is 
what's the least amount of therapy I can get away with, right, in, in terms of addressing the needs of this patient. And so, you know, the pendulum always you know, sometimes swings too far in either direction. But here, we're, I think it makes sense not to tie reimbursement to just therapy and to look at the patient and what their needs are. My hope is that, you know, you won't have operators that are trying to take advantage of the system and trying to get away with as little as possible. So really, the it, it is yet to be seen, you know, whether or not the system will work or not, but I've got high hopes for it. You know, every system, when it right out of the box, doesn't work perfectly, but hopefully there will be refinements to it and, you know, it'll just keep getting better, I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah, that puts you in line with most of the industry as well on that. And Look, we're bumping up at the end of our time here. So uh, we, we're, we've come to my last question, which is, you know, obviously you've been in this industry for a long time, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast. But, you know, how would you compare now to when you started in the industry, you know, in terms of your outlook, your optimism or pessimism on it? And, you know, I guess, where are we now in the whole trajectory of the industry based on how you've seen it? Well, I'll tell you, I'm very excited about the future of the industry. I'm excited for a number of reasons. From a demographic perspective, it's a no-brainer, right? I mean, people are living longer, they're living more longer, more actively, and there's so much more technology that we can take advantage of, electronic medical records. There's just, there's so much more technology out there that we can utilize to create a better, better environment for our patients. And I'm just excited to experiment with that technology. And I love the idea of experimenting with the technology in our own facilities that we're owning and managing. And hopefully when we come across something that is kind of great and that really improves the lives of the residents or makes it easier to manage the facility, what we want to do is we want to share that with the rest of the industry. What we want to do is I would like to take best practices that we have in, in our own portfolio and just share that with the world. We're, we're not trying to keep it quiet. We're not trying to keep secrets. What we want to do is we just want to enhance the lives of our patients. And that's essentially the mission of Greystone in general. We just want to enhance lives. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate having you on the podcast and uh, looking forward to seeing what the future holds for the industry and uh, Greystone. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate Take care. Bye. Time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.